0: and dice have all been tucked away, but there's still more beer to drink. It's time for a postcast. <laughs> We're in. The players chat about role playing, about podcasts, about private jokes, about this and or that. Tonight's postcast features DM Scott Sharplin and player David Faulkner. And and honestly, I think that's one of the reasons that I've always loved Ravenloft, to bring it back to that, because it's a setting and an adventure with the genre stamped right on its forehead, right? It, it's, you know, so many other modules can be done hack and slash, they can be done psychodrama, they can be done, you know, and, and, and to their benefit, like that, sh- that open endedness should exist. But when you get to Ravenloft, no, this is gothic horror. You know, everybody who sits down at the table knows that they're going to put their characters through some kind of hell. Um, and, and that suspense and fighting a being that's far more powerful like that's all all going to be part of it in another podcast i'll, I'll, I'll mansplain gothic horror um in more detail but... there's
1: no one else i'd rather have mansplain gothic horror to me than you Scott. Oh, thank you that's <laughs> the nicest thing you've ever said to me <laughs> the, I, I have long felt that the uh, best settings for rpgs uh, uh, whether that's computer rpgs tabletop rpgs are pulp fiction ones B movies, the kinds yeah. of things where a ton of derivative stories yeah. have already been told, because that is what arms the players with yeah. knowing what the rules of this world it's... are, not the gameplay mechanic rules, yeah. but the yeah. Yeah. what yeah. is the spectrum of possibility and choice in this? Because yeah. without knowing that... The choices before you can feel arbitrary and random, and you can just feel punished for doing yeah. something that seems straightforward to you, but actually violates the spirit of the genre.
0: I agree 100%. And and walking into a, a gaming scenario, whether it's a video game or, or an RPG, and, and being able to see all of those tropes available to you, like being able to reach out and access them, that's like candy store stuff for for genre-savvy players. Like, it, it, it does. It gives them... X-ray specs, and they can sort of see the, the, the workings of the narrative in a way that they wouldn't otherwise get. It, it can still be fun to subvert those narratives, obviously, to, you know, to do tropes in unexpected ways. Um, but but just, yeah, allowing them to go in and go, oh, okay, I'm basically playing my way through a Friday the 13th film. You know, this is a slasher film. And so as slasher films go, I can expect all of these rules to apply. And and that gives them, it gives them narrative Power it gives them narrative choice. Yeah, it's in- great.
1: Informed choices are really right. the only meaningful choices. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just feels like fate happens to you, which is a very realistic concept. It's just not as much
0: fun. No, it's not interesting <laughs> when you're telling stories. It's not because <laughs> because real life is random. But that's why we escape into stories. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, we hate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Actually, I think that was one of the struggles that I had in Ravenloft when we went through this the first time. Was that mm-hmm. I had not read very much uh, gothic fiction at all i was big into fantasy yeah but gothic fiction very yeah. different and i have since immersed myself in a lot more weird fiction gothic horror since and right. so I, I i i do feel more comfortable and more at home this time around and i right. hope to live up to the the expectations of the world a lot better but i do remember feeling that sense of being yeah, lost yeah. and yeah. Uh, trying to be I, I felt like i was swept up in your story your fantasy right Um, and i I wasn't quite sure of all the rules
0: (laughs) Mm, that's that makes sense and uh, in in hindsight i can see that i was also a, a worse dm back then so uh i would often railroad my players to to serve my own needs uh or my own aesthetic preferences i suppose um I was going to say, okay. where, where Ravenloft potentially does fall down is exactly that. It's the fact that it's not just gothic horror, it's got that fantasy element in it. So even though you're exploring a creepy castle, one of you can cast Fireball and Teleport. That, that kind of stuff is is, you have to be willing to allow the peanut butter and the chocolate to mix to a certain extent. But yeah, if you go in only knowing the tropes of Robert E. Howard and and you're you're exploring a Bram Stoker environment, it's it's not going to feel right at all.
1: And what would happen if Conan showed up in uh, Strahd's Castle? Um, he know. would make a mess. He'd make a big,
0: <laughs> a big non-dramatic yeah. mess of the place.
1: I was during talking to with Conan saying, like, "No, you're not supposed to do that. That's not yeah. the point." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. I can.
0: What sorcery is this
1: <laughs> i don't i don't think i'll have too much problem with the chocolate and peanut butter personally because they uh, i think fantasy and gothic fiction gothic horror do embrace some common features sure. uh they are they they uh, are storytelling based around symbolism they discourage you from thinking critically logically rationally <laughs> they're much more about uh um, relationships uh metaphor. Um, uh, And as long as you're in that mode, uh, I think uh, things can fit together really well. The chocolate and peanut butter thing that I really object to Mm -hmm. is the mixing of science fiction and fantasy. Because I feel like you can't actually have both. It's not actually possible. What you can have is science fiction Mm -hmm. that includes elements of fantasy in it, but is rigidly sci-fi, that it's exploring the consequences of every idea yeah. logically, yeah. or you can have fantasy that mm. incorporates sci-fi elements like Star Wars. But there's nothing that's actually both because they inherently fight one another. They're trying to do mm. very different things. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that,
0: yeah, that's, that's a strong stance and it, it's challenging me to think uh, of, of an example uh, to prove you wrong, but uh, maybe I'll need some time to think about that. Yeah, feel free. I, um, I don't
1: feel like I've answered all questions in science fiction uh, <laughs> fantasy. In, in, this one in
0: statement. <laughs> I, I certainly have never been drawn to D and D modules or settings that blend those two. I played some Star Jammer in Second Ed. Spelljammer, you know, spelljammer, spelljammer yes, spelljammer. yes, yes. So you like Spelljammer?
1: Oh, I re- okay. I um, might be able to enjoy Spelljammer. I remember that when I did play it when I was younger, mm-hmm. my religious objection to <laughs> uh rules like gravity is a force that exists on a plane because that's what makes the fantasy work better just yeah. i could yeah. not take it no right. that is not how gravity works right right i was right. In, in the wrong mode i'm more mature now i might be more willing to do that because of course there's fantasy is i think also impossible to realize fully in an rpg Because to have a game that is fair, there need to be rules. You need to systematize certain aspects of the interaction. How much you do that that is a creative choice, but there's got to be something. Um, And that, I feel like, uh, starts to nibble away at what fantasy is. Don't Hmm. get me wrong. I I don't mean impossible in the sense that you can't do something satisfying and great there. Just that uh, I feel like... uh, there sounds? is a spectrum, and that it's adding some systematization and almost sci-fi type stuff into a fantasy setting. It uh, sounds which,
0: to me like you're saying that that true fantasy or high fantasy doesn't have rules but but that can't be what you're what you mean
1: yeah no i i i don't yeah I can't mean that uh-huh. but but i I do think that magic, when it's at its best, is something that is introducing a change in the world that is not something a person that's not a gadget if it were a gadget then it would be it would feel to me more like a sci-fi story right if it obeys strict rules Uh, but instead uh, Gandalf can make you uh, think that you're hearing things what are the exact constraints on that uh, we're not sure, but he can make sure he can make illusions happen around you uh, mm-hmm. and that can uh, inform the action in certain ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But of course, in D&D, there have to be specific constraints. Yeah. They've got to be very specific or else uh, things can become unbalanced.
0: Well, and the, 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 the original writers and most of the subsequent designers of iterative editions of D&D, Love rules. It's pretty clear. Uh, they 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 greatly enjoy designing those systems. Uh, I don't think Gygax would have chosen Vancian magic as his system if he didn't love rules and numbers and spell slots. You know, I hate it. I wish I wish he hadn't gone that route, and and that every edition of D and D since then has stuck with it so rigidly. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of necessary if you want to avoid endless arguments at your table about what the wizard can and can't do Gork- and i suppose
1: keep... like D tries to not go too far with that by having a lot of its rules around spells written out in text they're not things you can summarize in tables all the time it's no. uh, uh spells just describe and then they'll say yeah. use your mm-hmm. best judgment yeah um and and i think that's that is good that actually does help with the fantasy setting mage the ascension i've only just started playing recently Mm -hmm. and it goes a lot farther in that direction there Mm -hmm. are far fewer systematized things and a lot more this sphere of magic takes this form and (laughs) anything you can think of that fits this theme is something you can potentially do so long as in the gm's opinion Mm -hmm. it does not violate these principles too much uh and so it's, it does feel a lot more like a discussion each time you try to do something. I think I'd like to try to influence the world in this way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, and here's my justification for it. Do you yeah. think I'm allowed to do it?
0: And do you prefer that? Uh, do, you, do you find that kind of back and forth a, a, a beneficial part of a game or does it just slow things down?
1: It has not slowed the game down. Uh, I'm, oh, we've only played about eight sessions with it. And so I don't feel like I can really pass a judgment on it. Mm. It's definitely fun and interesting and fresh for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: uh, And uh, may even be a better way to do a fantasy RPG in some sense. Um, If it's just trying to, it's really, uh, it's a different experiment with trying to boil down. How many rules do you need in order to keep things moving along?
0: Right right yeah cuz i mean again the storyteller in me and maybe the actor in me too uh loves the idea of a, a, a game where you can sit down without having to roll up characters without having to constantly consult the numbers on your sheet and just kind of collaboratively collaboratively talk your way through a story um you know i i i love that in theory and i'm sure other rpg designers have tried to make the rules so light that they just vanish, you know that they're they're basically transparent. Um, but I'm an old school D and D nut, so I always come back to it, and it's comfortable. So yeah, I,
1: I will never stop playing D D&D and D and D and D like games. It's I uh, don't get me wrong when I say I make a dramatic statement like it may be impossible to make a fantasy game that does not in some way embrace sci-fi and systematized rules. I'm not throwing down a gauntlet or declaring failure or anything like that. Just that conceptually, mm-hmm, uh, if mm-hmm. the, I feel like there is a chocolate and peanut butter, and you can decide which, uh, uh, which area you want to be on more. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's an inherent tension between them. And there's lots of different ways to solve that tension D&D has its.
0: Right, um, right and I, I
1: find, I've always found it fun. Yeah. It's definitely a very combat-focused system. Of course. Um, uh, but that's a choice, and it's a, it's a fine choice.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I've tried to use D and D rules to play other styles of game, um, using other genres. Uh, gothic horror in its purer forms, its literary forms, definitely not about combat, right? Um, most of it is about. The, the the horror the anticipation of a confrontation rather than the actual uh, fighting it out and like often, Call
1: of Cthulhu like the, the, the that uh, kind of role playing system
0: yeah 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 I'd say if I wanted to play a a true gothic horror game I'd probably incline more towards Call of Cthulhu than uh, than D and um, but I don't I don't mind again if you have the right people at the table I don't mind taking a system that's designed for one thing for combat and then just allowing it to stretch a little bit in a different direction
1: yeah yeah Yeah. i would uh privately i would love to play something more call of cthulhu ish uh at some point i it's difficult to find people who are into it yeah, uh, it's easy to get people hooked on. This is a game where you get to fight monsters and p- right. uh, potentially win. Uh, but Call of Cthulhu is far more about. No, no, no. You're going to die, yeah. likely <laughs> of madness. Uh, and yeah. the really the fun is figuring out how you get there. Right. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. is that cool? <laughs>
0: you want to come over to my house and pretend (laughs) to die next weekend (laughs) pretend to go crazy and get eaten
1: pretend pretend to confront the uh the ineffable and the inexplicable Uh uh have it drive you mad and tear you to pieces
0: yeah yeah um I think uh, yes i love that uh, i think uh, yeah. it takes
1: a particular weird person to want to do that
0: and and i wouldn't want to do it on a weekly basis i don't think i think you know call of cthulhu works very well for a one shot or a very brief campaign uh i remember once gearing up to run the masks of Lathatep, mm-hmm. which is you know, this was from Call of Cthulhu, you know, five editions ago or what have you, but yeah. it's a classic. And the, the guidebook for this adventure is 300 pages long, and it takes you all around the world and probably to other dimensions. And I I mean, I got overwhelmed and bored just preparing it. And I can't imagine players being able to follow all of that, uh, especially when they're sort of trying to deliberately not understand the what's going on behind the screen like that's that's the weirdest thing about call of cthulhu is that you know all the tropes going in but you really have to play like your characters are not genre savvy like they don't realize that these things exist in in the universe that takes another level of skill and and complicity i think
1: yeah the number of people that are uh actually familiar with that genre of fiction is a little bit narrower than mm. uh, fantasy yeah, uh, and although, then then you got to find the subset who want to play a game and immerse themselves in that world.
0: Uh, although uh, a quick aside to a, a pop culture reference, uh, there was a fabulous season of TV broadcast this past year called Lovecraft Country. Seek it out.
1: I have watched that. It is amazing, ah,
0: isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, and and like, there's your high fantasy. The the rules rules what rules like anything can happen in this universe but that's and 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 to keep it grounded in the social realism and the 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 cultural complications of jim crow america great writing all the way through
1: great stuff oh that was amazing Uh, because it was a blend of lovecraft but in uh well and afrofuturism good and uh, especially word. that episode about um yeah, yeah. the character's name. But yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, where she sort of flashes forwards in in many different lives into the future. Yeah, I remember yeah. that.
1: And uh uh this when they bring in the um uh, uh, Afrofuturist elements and the Afrocentered elements, they use it specifically to invert Lovecraft, which is a powerful mm-hmm. and excellent uh, way to take it. Um, the,
0: the whole series really undercuts Lovecraft, who was yeah. uh, a notorious racist. And once you know that, you see it stitched deep yes. into all his writing. Uh, that the it's it's really a kind of miracle that they could, on the one hand, maintain the flavor of Lovecraftian fantasy. And also undercut that, snip it out so surgically. It's uh, it's yeah, it's great TV.
1: Yeah, and actually, well, and not even really just snip it out, confront it, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, sure. I, I was I always, I wondered as an intellectual exercise whether you could extract the xenophobia mm. from Lovecraft and have it still mm-hmm. work, or mm-hmm. whether it was fundamentally flawed, uh, because of course mm-hmm. fear of the unknown uh, yeah. is the whole point, but. Part of me thought, yeah, but it can't have to be fear of other people, surely. Surely it can't. Um, And they demonstrated, absolutely not. It does, there do have to be people you're afraid of.
0: Yeah, yeah, there Uh, are evil people. They're just all white. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean that's one of the central questions of postmodern literary criticism. If you want to go there, uh, (laughs) is can can we appreciate? Can we get something meaningful and valuable out of writing when the context of that writing or the authors themselves are so problematic?
1: You know, we we
0: we know we accept that Shakespeare was racist. Uh, We see it in evidence in you know x number of plays. Can we still? put on those plays? Can we still study those plays? Can we still derive enjoyment from them, even though we know how, how toxic they are uh, on that level? And I oh, I don't have enough degrees to answer that. Um,
1: and I certainly do not. My, my major was in computing science. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if there's a way that I could express that question as a computation, mm-hmm. then I might be able to help you.
0: Well, Shakespeare <laughs> you know that Shakespeare's plays weren't written by William Shakespeare. They were oh, actually no. written by a computer.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was enough. worried you were going to say Sir Francis Bacon for a second, but no. no. Okay, good, good. You pulled that yeah, out. It was,
0: it was called Bacon. The computer was called Bacon. Uh, it stood for um binary, uh, b- binary uh, accounting, <laughs> uh, computational operating nonsense. You've just
1: blown the whole thing open right here. <laughs> so many layers. This is better go to air. <laughs>
0: Broadcast is produced by Slack and Slash Productions. We're based in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, also known as Unamagi, the unceded and ancestral territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Other participants have joined the podcast remotely using Zoom from Treaty 6 land, aka Alberta, as well as Seminole Territory, aka Florida. We're honored and grateful to live and work on native land. They're called First Nations for a reason. Our campaign is inspired by, and uses material from, both Curse of Strahd Revamped, published by Wizards of the Coast, and the Curse of Strahd Legendary Edition, published by Beetle and Grimms. Special thanks to Laura and Tracy Hickman for writing I-6 Ravenloft, the module that started it all. Let us know what you think of us. You can find us at slackandslashpod.com. Or search us on Facebook or Twitter using the same phrase, slack and slash pod. All one word. If you like what we do, please rate or review us on the podcast platform where you found us. Until next time, thanks for listening. Be brave and shine bright.